Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. Julie Weisenhorn's back in the studio with us. Good to see Julie. Have a good week. Busy week. Busy week. Yeah. You were on the road? I was on the road. I was up in uh, Morris at our Horticulture Night, which celebrates their... uh, all the awesome work that volunteers and the staff do in their horticulture display garden up there. So oh, I was nice. talking about integrated pest management. Well, and, we'll be uh, doing that on the show today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, a lot of people do integrated pest management, but they just don't even realize they do it. Oh, what is that? Uh, it's a, a way of making decisions about managing your pest issues. And pests are not only just insects, but also diseases and weeds and sometimes wildlife. And it's a it's a a way to choose cultural changes, making uh, choosing disease resistant plants, um, the way mm. you do things in your landscape. I I always encourage people. It's about being an active gardener. It's about being out there. You kind of do that uh, on the show every week. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, seriously. Yeah, you yeah. Do, you, yeah, you got to be out there. That. You got to yeah. pay attention to your landscape yeah. and, and get to know it. And uh, contrary to a lot of uh, initial response about that title is about integrated pest management is chemical application is like the last thing that we do okay so that we recommend so it's interesting it's a very uh very uh kind of wise way to make decisions it's really being uh being present within your garden and i think more are would you not guess that more gardeners are feeling that way too i mean whether they're master so. gardeners yeah or not. i think so that well yeah. gardens are a big investment yeah. lawns That's are a big true. investment and uh, you want to get the most out of your investment so um, but you got to be active you can't just plant to walk away Tell you what, let's invite our listeners to join in on Sounds the show. Sounds good. And we, you and I were talking. It's almost, sti- well, I won't say it. It's State Fairs is just around the corner. Quiet. You're going to be there, though. I will be there, okay, yeah, we'll on talk the 26th. More. We won't talk about it until yeah, then. First right. Saturday. Very good. <laughs> 651-989-9226. This show, by the way, we really appreciate our friends at uh, Buy the Art Outdoor Furniture for making this show possible. Of course, Thank Julie you. being here Thank makes you. it possible too. So, but they're great folks. We'll yeah. talk uh, about that uh, patio furniture, and we'll be using that by the yard furniture at the fairgrounds too, as it's we always do. Yeah, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Text number. We're already getting text messages. Messages as well. That is eight one eight zero seven. Let's go to the phones first, Julie. Kathy is calling from Shakopee. Kathy, you're on with Julie. Hi. Yes, I have two Japanese beetle questions. Okay. Uh, when does the Japanese beetle season stop? <laughs> when do they start going away? Well, uh, that's we have a, a great 
posting from our entomologist Jeff Hahn on the Japanese beetles on our website, so I, I, on our Yard and Garden news blog. But according to Jeff, it usually lasts about four to six weeks, and we're coming up to hopefully the last week around the metro. Last week of what? The last week of the Here in the metro area. Hopefully. But that's, you know, that's just kind of a rule of thumb. They could last a little bit longer. They could end shorter. Um, this is the one time of the year I kind of wish we had a snap freeze. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's just me. But, uh, but yeah, so we don't – we predict it's usually about four to six weeks, and they were first sighted, I think, around the end of June. Okay. My uh, second question is I have, like, three fairly big tubs of annuals, and I've had them on there, and I've been killing them. Right. But, like, late fall when I dub – dump these tubs of annuals. I take the flowers out, and just to have something to do with the old potting soil, I kind of spread it on my perennial bed. Now, that doesn't have any beetle larvae or anything in it, does it? Well, it potentially could if if you've had them on there. They usually go down into grassy areas. Um, I think because it's an above-ground tub is that that soil would freeze out and that uh, possibly they wouldn't make it through the winter in that tub. So maybe just leave it in the tub and, and wait uh, and uh, spread it next spring instead okay. of in the fall and let it freeze out, and maybe that will help. Okay. Very good. Good luck with that, Kathy. Japanese beetles. Oh, yeah. Ken is calling from uh, Egan, Minnesota with a question. Good morning, Ken. Hi. See, I have a – I think it's a crab apple tree sure. uh, right next to my garage, and – the branches are starting to hit the car when I pull in. Are those? Is that okay to trim those, or should I wait? Well, the best time to trim the crab apple, along with any production apples too, is going to be in the late winter. So uh, okay. right now, if you trim them, unless it's a hazardous thing, if you're getting poked in the eye or if a, a storm cracks a branch or something and you have to prune it, um, we really advise if you can hold off and do it into the uh, late winter, around March or so, that that's a better time to do it because uh, the pests aren't active then. That could potentially enter the wounds. All right. Thanks, Ken. Ken leaves that line open at 651-989-9226. Go to White Bear. I think uh, Kurt is uh, there. Kurt, you're on with Julie. Hi. I noticed holes in a couple tomatoes and uh, a white worm about the diameter of a pencil, maybe an inch long, and wondering what we can see that way. Uh, well, it's good you caught the pest. Um, I am just looking, actually, what I'd recommend is taking a look at our website. Under We have a lot of good stuff from our plant pathologist, Michelle Grabowski, and from Jeff Hahn, also our entomologist, about pest management in tomatoes. Um, we also have diagnostic tools where you can go ahead and take a look at, you know, uh, under holes in my fruit of tomatoes and, um, and see if you can identify that. And that's going to give you your best um, options both control as well as uh, chemical applications. So okay. take, take a look you. at that, yeah. And that's on extension.umn.edu. Click on the garden tab, go to yard and garden, and, and then in this case with Ken, it would go right to the vegetable section and go to tomatoes. A lot of great information on their yeah. website. Wow. Yeah. If you haven't been on the website, take a look at it. We're always putting new things up there. And our yard and garden news blog is a great resource for people about current issues. I mentioned the article that Jeff wrote about the Japanese beetles. Mm-hmm. You know, Take a look at that because he gives you some really good insight into that past. Excellent. We'll mention that site, too, as we always do throughout each show. Uh, let's go to Pat. Uh, Pat, you're on with Julie here on CCO. Good morning. Morning. Julie, good. Hi. Hi. Um, this past spring, I put in a dwarf weeping pussy willow. Yes. 
and it's really doing very well. But I wanted to know, is there anything special I should do to bring it through the winter? next year. I, I don't think so. I think uh, I'm, I'm not real familiar with the weeping variety of pussy willows, but pussy willows are, are hardy in Minnesota and um, probably just protecting it from deer browsing and from animal browsing uh, rabbits too, because that has kind of a nice tender little bark on it and those rabbits it might does. girdle it. So putting a good okay. fence around it, um, I'd recommend using hardware cloth uh, at least, you know, I'm not sure how tall it is. It sounds like a newer plant, but if you have deer trouble, be sure you have a nice, tall fence and use that uh, the hardware cloth and some sturdy stakes would be great. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Very good. 651-989-9226. There is a line open if you want to fill it. Ask Julie your question or send a text, 8180. So why don't we grab a text before yeah, we take so a break? somebody here, I think they have something to do at 830. <laughs> May I use evergreen needles that are dry to mulch wet and clay area? Yes, evergreen needles are great to use for mulch. They allow air to flow through. They allow water to flow through. They're thick enough to uh, block the light from seeds germinating. So, yes, they're very, very good choice. Very good. We'll have more text uh, to pick up on and your phone calls as well. This is our Smart Garden Show. You're on 830 WCCU. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good morning. Summer's in full swing. Thank you. I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> it's uh, 71 degrees and uh, skies are fair here in the Twin Very Cities. Nice it's just, it is a beautiful yeah. day, a beautiful weekend. Yeah. Uh, we look We're at a uh, high of 84 today. Uh, this is our Smart Garden Show here on CCU around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn is back with us from the University of Minnesota today helping you out. You can see, Julie, we have callers we and do. texters as well. Uh, Tommy is calling from Minneapolis. Tommy, you're on with Julie. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Question for you. Uh, I suppose I could have looked this up, but I heard <laughs> your show. Why not? Um, so I have an invasive plant that looks like rhubarb. But oh, it's not okay. rhubarb. And I'm wondering about a way to um, permanently try and get mm. rid of it. Um, yeah. It's in our neighbor's yard, but it's coming through the fence and then gets in our grass. Yeah, so that's burdock. Okay. And uh, burdock looks like rhubarb. It doesn't have the red stems that we like to eat on rhubarb, but it has the same shape of leaves. It's big. Yeah. And it's actually a biennial. A lot of our weeds are biennial, meaning that the first year – that after seeding is they grow, uh, they focus their effort and all their energy on producing a really strong root system. And burdock has a tap root, which means it's like a like a carrot has a tap is a tap root, and so it goes really deeply down. Thistles have a tap root too. So anytime you don't get all of that root, you're going to get another plant growing from that point. So the important thing with eliminating those is to get a nice, a good sturdy garden fork. And really dig down there and get it, get all of that root out of there. Hmm. If you don't, next year that burdock will come back and it will now produce a flower. And the flower pr- turns into seed pods. And those seed pods are the ones that get caught in your dog's fur and really make huh. a big mess. That's burdock. And there's thousands of seeds on a single plant. Wow. Even millions in some cases of some of these weeds. And so it's really important to get it out of there. That first year, but a lot of people don't see the weeds, they don't see the flowers, they don't pay attention. But if you can identify it, and that's that's mm. a good thing to look at for um, burdock, is get that root out of there as much as you can. Very good. Good luck, Tommy, with that. Uh, Charlotte <laughs> is calling from Luck, Wisconsin, I believe. Charlotte, wow. good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
<clears throat> I have a maple tree that's probably about four inches around, and it's about 25 feet tall now. And something is tearing the bark off about four or five days ago. It started. It starts about five feet up, and it's torn off about an inch wide by four inches. And it's laying all over the ground. And a couple days later, it is more. It's going higher. Now it's going up to about 10 feet, and it's just tearing the bark right off, and I can't find anything. The leaves are not uh disturbed at all it's just the bark it's tore off of that young tree and i can't see an animal there but i think it's happening at night i thought it was squirrels but the squirrels are not out at night so i can't imagine what's doing that yeah it's hard to say what animal but squirrels were the first thing i thought of because they did the same thing to my apple tree which is gone now but um but that uh, it, it would have to be something that can climb so it would be raccoons or possums or Squirrels. Um, I mm. thought, first of all, when you said that, that it was starting at about five feet, I thought of deer yeah. rubbing on it yeah. or, or peeling, biting and eating that bark because it's a young tree and that bark is tender. Um, so the best thing to do is, is to try to catch, you know, if you can stay up and see if you can see what that pest is. And then protecting the tree would, would mean actually, I mean, 10 feet up, that's, you can't really put a fence, but yeah. you could try putting a a, a circle of hardware cloth and some, I mentioned that earlier, um, a circle of fencing around it to see if that helps to uh, defray some of that. But at this point, just keep the tree watered, mulch it, take care of it so that it can actually heal over. And hopefully they didn't go any further down except for that initial outer bark. Wow. Yeah. That's what so I thought I'm, too initially was it. Yeah, deer. I thought they were maybe rubbing their antlers. Maybe somebody can lend her lighting uh, it or, uh, a critter camera. Yeah, you know, to, yeah, critter cam. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck, luck. Charlotte. Uh, Bev is calling from Brooklyn Center with a question. Uh, good morning, Bev. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, my question is about watering trees. I have a linden that's just a few years old. Uh, how close to the trunk do I water? Okay. Well, you're good. it's good you're thinking about that because a lot of our uh, shade trees kind of get neglected, and we don't think about watering those. And uh we have a terrific publication on watering established trees and also watering new trees on our extension garden site. Uh, but you want to water right around the base. You can actually, you can either put on a, a soaker hose, which is, is terrific, or a drip hose, and then just turn that on. You can buy a simple timer so that you can be applying that, you know, every, you can turn it on for an hour or so and, uh, and let it really soak into that area. Um, you need to water the the root system of trees goes far beyond the canopy of the trees. We used to think it was kind of a mirror image underground, but uh, research has shown that those roots will go beyond the the drip the drip line of that tree. So your roots are quite broad and quite expansive. But if you water within, you know, five feet around, you know, five foot um, circle diameter around that tree, that would probably be fine. Um, but just bear that in mind, though, as you're also working on other parts of your yard, is that you could be disturbing some tree roots and just to pay attention to that. Okay. So, but take a look at those publications. That will also tell you how frequently to water and how much water that tree needs. There's some guidelines for measuring the girth of the trunk and then applying the, uh, applying the water appropriately. And where do we find that? Info? On extension.umn.edu. Click on the garden tab, go to yard and garden, and in your case, it's right on that page, and it's on. It's called Water Wisely, and it's all about watering lawns, gardens, and trees. Excellent. 
Julie, we have to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you uh, want to call in your question, 651-989-9226. Or you can send Julie a text if you like, 81807. And welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show brought to us by By the Yard Outdoor Furniture. We'll talk about uh, that great product coming up in a few minutes. Julie Weisenhorn's with us from the University of Minnesota helping you out today via phone and text. This and is a fun job. It is fun. It's mm-hmm. fun. This is I yep. think extension's a great job. You've done it for a few years now. Fifteen years. Wow. Yeah. yeah and again terrific. Awesome people. Well, you mean the folks at I mean, the U? The, yeah, the people at the U and people plus I work the, with. Yeah, and all the listeners, listeners are yeah. great. Yeah. Gardeners yeah. are terrific. I agree. All right. We're so <laughs> It's a love fest. <laughs> let's let's get back to the phone. Some sixties music now. <laughs> Kathy in St. Anthony has been waiting. Thank you, Kathy. What's your question? Hi, Julie. Hi. Um, I wanted to say that I heard you mention Jeff Hahn. I he yep. helped me with an insect problem. Oh yes, very helpful, and and it turned out good. So yep. anyway, my question is: I have three weeds on my hit list. And I've almost given up Just on the three? Top, on, yes, the worst one. The third one is a weed that my gardening magazine, Fine Gardening, identified. It, it They called it Goes Nimbly. Goes Nimbly? Uh, yes, that's hmm. what they called it. And Don't it's know a, that one. Okay. Not you, that name you, anyway. It's not a scientific name, obviously, but <laughs> it does go nimbly, I'll tell you. Um, maybe you can tell me what it is. It's kind of a, the color, it's really a sneaky. It's kind of the color of grass. If the sun is shining on it, it looks bluer than grass, and I can, I can pull it. It has little tiny white flowers, that, and it comes out like a palm, uh, fingers on a palm. Okay. So it spreads that way, and I will pull all of it, and then after a rain, I'll go out there, and it's all back. So I'm either missing the candelabra uh, arms of it, or it's, I don't know, but it has little tiny white flowers, which make you think that it's your grass seeding, going to seed. Sure. It, it's very um, sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what that is? Well, and he- it's. Here's what I'd ask you to do, Kathy, is I I would ask you to take a couple photos of it. Okay. uh, Pull, you know, both in the lawn and then after you've pulled it out and then send that to Ask Extension. Okay. Uh, Go to our garden site and send some photos in and we'll, uh, we've got about, there's probably about 30 master gardeners and and I'm on that too. And, uh, and we'll see if we can diagnose it for you at that point. It's easier to do that. I think we'll be a little bit, um, a little bit more accurate than on the radio, but, um. That's that's Wonderful. a great resource. Anytime you have a questions, you can certainly email in questions or pictures along with your questions. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very yeah, much. You All bet. right, Kathy. Thank you. Uh, Susan in Minneapolis is next on CCO. Susan, Julie's listening. Good morning. Morning. Uh, I have uh, three rhododendron that are out in the front of my house, and one of them looked sick, and my neighbor said it was some kind of blight or something, and it it died. So we dug it out, but I'm afraid to plant another rhododendron in that spot. Okay. Well, n- without identifying the actual disease, it would be hard to say whether it's a soil-borne disease or if it's something that was transferred via an, an, an insect. Some insects are vectors of disease, a virus. and uh, Or it could be something that's, you know, a, a fungal spore that, you know, is on there. So that's one of the—if you still have the plant— you can certainly uh, send it into the plant disease clinic and have it diagnosed, and then you'll know 
for sure if you can plant another plant there or not. And you can go to their website. It's just PDC, Plant Disease Clinic, pdc.umn.edu. And if you have questions, you can call them and ask them. Again, you can also, if you still have the plant and want to take a picture of it, you can send that to Ask Extension 2, and we can see if we can help diagnose it. All right. Very good. Uh, tell you what, we have a line open if you want to call in your question for Julie. 651-989-9226. Text is available as well, 81807. Should we do a few of those? Yeah, it looks like we've got a couple. Uh, planted, newly planted three-foot Techni arborvitaes have some brown slash dead tips. Uh, seem, um, seems to have moist soil. What do we do? I think actually it's just transplant stress possibly. And uh, you can, if those uh, fronds, dry up completely and, and are, are very brittle, you can just trim them off. Um, but right now, probably not trimming. Just leave it and just you're doing the right thing. Keep the soil moist. Uh, mulch around the base of the plants. And then you might want to protect them if they're, they're three foot tall, but, boy, rabbits sure like arborvitaes. So you might want to protect them with a, a, some fencing until they get a little bit bigger. Okay. Uh, have a flowering crab and two fireside apple trees. Leaves are small and sparse. Last two years, what is the problem? Tough to say. They could be. They could have fire blight. They could uh, be just small tree. You know, they're just getting established, and so the leaves are not going to be as big and robust. Uh, best thing to do is keep them watered, mulch them, protect them through the winter from browsing, on, from animal browsing. Um, pay attention. Scout for insect issues or leaf spots, and then contact us at the at extension if you uh, find anything beyond that. If you have a lawn or garden question for Julie via phone, we have a line available, 651-989-9226. Text message here, 81807. Yeah, so what would cause our clematis and other shrubs to have black, sick leaves? We've tried to do preventative things, but nothing seems to work. Help. Okay, so when you have an issue like that, it's and particularly if it's on multiple plants, it's tough to say, what that is without having a diagnosis done. So you can start by going to our website and take a look at at what's wrong with my plant. That's a diagnostic tool. It deals with disease. It deals with issues in the in the environment that might be causing problems, um, animal browsing. And then it will take you to publications that will help you decide what to do. But uh, to just spray something or treat it uh, without really knowing what you're treating is kind of a dangerous thing to do because you can either harm the plant you can harm yourself, especially if you're treating edible plants and you're not really sure what's going on and you're using a product that isn't, isn't going to do anything. And sometimes by the time you see the disease, it's too late to do anything. So you need to, that's where I'm saying be an active gardener, be out there early on and, uh, and keep track of things. Keep a record. When you see these things happening, you know, jot it down in a notebook, take a photograph, uh, you know, put it into your Google calendar, whatever, and then keep track of that next year. So that you can uh, you can jump on that you can get it diagnosed and then realize you have a spot disease with this plant and you need to need to either water it differently move the plant protect it in some way uh, but you want to get a, a jump start on that before uh, you start to see these kinds of things so um, but don't just treat it don't just try anything uh, without truly knowing what the problem is six five one nine eight nine nine two two six a line is open six five one nine eight nine nine two two six Text number, I know we have a bunch of those, 81807. Yeah, good ones. Uh, what is the best time and best method to scatter wildflower seeds? Um, know what wildflower seeds you're scattering. Uh, look at the analysis on the package. 
Um, you can scatter those early in the spring. That's a good time to do it. Sometimes people do it in the fall in preparation for the following spring as well. It depends on the seeds. Some seeds need a cold period in the ground, and then you'd want to do that in the fall so that they can go through winter. Uh, special time for pruning, a common spirea shrub. Now, there are spirea that bloom in the spring and some that bloom in the summer. If they bloom in the spring, you want to cut those back right after they uh, finish blooming in the spring. So then you have a window of time there before because they're going to set flower buds for next year. If they bloom in the summer, you can wait and you can prune those um, in the winter. You can prune them uh, early in the spring as you're cleaning up your yard. Okay, how about one more here? Yeah, better to water a garden in morning or evening. Great question. Yeah. Um, we recommend watering in the morning because it allows the leaves and, uh, a lot, first of all, it minimizes evaporation because it's cooler. And so more of the water is getting into the soil and therefore being accessible to the roots. And then uh, it also, if you get the leaves wet, it also allows those leaves to dry off before uh, it get you know, throughout the day. If you water at night, they stay wet all night, and that's a bigger chance that you're going to have some leaf spot diseases. Let's go back to the phones, Julie. Ken is calling from Blaine with a question. Uh, go ahead, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have questions on uh, clematis. I have not very good luck at growing them. They, I don't either, I mean, Ken. <laughs> they tend to... To, I mean, they grow, and then I get like maybe a half a dozen flowers if I'm lucky. And I have a couple different varieties. Um, and one of them this year, well, it, it kind of happens. There's like a sudden death syndrome for right. uh, nursery that's told me for clematis. All of a sudden, all the leaves are brown and the right. stems are brown. And um, I'm just not sure how to proceed here. Yeah. So uh, we have a... a- a publication called Stem Rot of Clematis. <laughs> and it's under our flower section on our website. And I would recommend taking a look at that. Um, it it has, there are some things you can do. A lot of clematis, I think, issues have to do with planting them in well-drained soil. We have pretty heavy clay. You're from Blaine. You probably, you might too. I'm not sure. Do you have sandy sandy soil or? Oh, I think he's just listening offline. Okay. So, I think so too. So, um, so, Planting them in well-drained soil is important, and then also in full sun. I think uh, they, those plants need to dry out uh, as far as they need to be, um, you know, have enough sun so that they can produce leaves at the base. They need well-drained soil so that their roots don't rot, and, they, and you have a lesser chance of stem rot. So, uh, but we do have a good publication on the stem rot of clematis. It talks about some of those situations that you mentioned um, I have a lot of trouble with clematis myself, but I know that part of my problem is the soil that they're in is is kind of heavy clay and that they're also shaded so much around that base that it never really dries out. So um, so I have to move my clematis. That's on my to-do list right now. But um, So enough sun is important, and, uh, and then also that well-drained soil. If you're in sandy soil and they seem to dry out really quickly, then just work in some compost into that sandy soil and that will help to retain water that will make it available to the plant. All right, Julie, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We have more show to come here on our Smart Garden Show, 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81. 
800-242-8807. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 71 degrees in the Twin Cities. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is helping us out today. Julie, we've got full lines and a lot of text messages as well. Let's see how many folks we can help out. Uh, Linda's calling from Bloomington. Go ahead, Linda. Yes, good morning. Morning. Uh, My question is about youth, and uh, Julie, you just said something interesting. Um, The uh, problem is rabbits. Rabbits uh, absolutely decimated them this winter. Mm -hmm. And I know the needles, I thought the needles were toxic, but they're going after their bark on the branches, and so all that died back, and so I cut it back. But you said they will regrow the bark? Well, it won't necessarily regrow the bark, but sometimes the bark is just... You know, hopefully it's just surface. I mean, they've just stripped off a little bit of it. It it really depends on the animal. The problem with rabbits is that they often will girdle trees and shrubs. So that means that they're eating down through the bark into what's called the cambium layer. And in the cambium layer are the vessels that transfer water and nutrients throughout the tree, the phloem and the xylem. What happens is when they girdle that, when they eat through those vessels, they basically cut off that access the plant has through those vessels. That's called girdling. So that will kill a tree ultimately. So, uh, but sometimes you'll see like, you'll see uh, that bark has been stripped off, but the tree will kind of heal up and, and they didn't get quite that deep. Um, that's what, the, kind of what I was referring to. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah, you bet. All right, thanks, fencing is your best bet against a rabbit. And one thing about when you think about fencing, uh, think about, first of all, fencing early enough in the winter or any time of year if you have that problem. But but in the winter in particular, be sure that your fencing goes down below the ground so that and, and that it's tall enough so that the rabbits aren't just sitting on a foot of snow and nibbling right over your fence. Yeah. So you want at least a four-foot fence around those plants Good to point. protect them from rabbits because of snowfall. Let's go to Bob, who's calling from White Bear. Go I ahead, to Bob. to talk about snow. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I've got a question. Okay. Good morning. I think we lost Bob. Uh oh. Call I back, think his, Bob. Yeah, I think his cell kind of dropped out. Uh, Alice is calling from Lindstrom. However, go ahead, Alice. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful morning. Yes. I am calling about two things: uh, Japanese beetles, which mm-hmm. I've told are prolific this year. They are in some places. <laughs> well, I think they're in. They've found a place. <laughs> um, I was asked or told by a nursery gentleman that. If you see the leaves on your plant and they're lacy, yes, will have Japanese beetles. Chances are, yeah. right now that's that would be the case. Okay, most I've likely. Been, I've been. I'm sorry. I've been treating it with uh, seven dust, and that seems to be helping. And um, but it, it's just awful, you know. They just keep feeding and feeding. But right. I think I've got them kind of contained. Okay, be careful when you apply any kind of uh, pesticide like seven because it is also toxic to your pollinators. Okay. So you want to treat, if you're going to treat, if you have to, um, then do it late in the evening when the pollinators are not out feeding. Don't do it in the middle of the day because that's their primary time that they feed. Even in the morning, the bumblebees are out. So. Okay. Also... I have pole beans, and you know what I'm talking about when I say the feelers that climb around the poles and hook themselves on. Right, yes. How on earth do those do those feelers know where to <laughs> at the top of my um, plant?
so plants have um, uh, uh, a response to light and to gravity, and they will grow. Uh, they will grow toward light, uh, and they will also grow against gravity. And that's what those those feelers or vining areas are. Vining parts of the plant are doing is that that's a it's a reaction that the plant has. It's called a tropism. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. You the know sunflowers that turn toward the sun is a tro- that's a, called a phototropism. Uh, and when plants, when you know, we have these upside down pots and and these bags and stuff that people grow tomatoes in and all that, and the plant always grows down and then it comes back. It starts growing against gravity, growing up. That's called a gravitropism. It's very cool if you look it up online. There's great. Um, you know, examples of vining crops that they've shot with, you know, over with video, and it's really neat. Kind of a time lapse thing. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. time lapse. That's the yeah, word I need. Yeah. yeah. You know a lot of stuff. I'm old. No, you're not. <laughs> not at all. Are you kidding? Uh, Rose. <laughs> Been around the block a few times. <laughs> Roseanne and Harris. I find it very interesting. So <laughs> that's great. Flat geek that I might be. Hi, Roseanne. Hi. Hi. Hi, Julie. I had a question. My husband and I bought a, ca- a cabin in the Chippewa National Forest Ooh, nice. in northern Minnesota yeah, about 10, 11 years ago. Okay. And we had a lot of showy lady slippers and the yellow lady slippers that have the curly tendrils right. growing behind our garage. They had been placed there by the people, some people before us, when they widened the road and the local oh, highway they workers mm-hmm. yep, let the local people come and move them behind. And we had about 20 of the showy lady slippers and maybe about 10 or 15 of the yellow ones 11 years ago when we bought. And through Mm -hmm. the years, we have lost them. The yellows are all gone as of this year, and we're down to about 10 of the showy lady slippers. And I just wondered if there's anything we could do to help encourage them to stay. heard something about a fungus in the soil, that they needed a fungus in the soil to grow and that it might be... Um, might be depleted. Gone now. Mm-hmm. It yeah. might have been depleted. So, yeah, some plants and lady slippers are a good example. They have a symbiotic relationship with a fungus in the soil called mycorrhizae. And that's why when you move those plants, people are often not successful moving them. They have to know what they're doing. I mean, specialists in wildflowers can do it. We, uh, uh, Rich, um, I can't remember his last name. He's the wildflower gardener out at the Arboretum. He has a special permit, and he will go in when they're putting roads through areas where there's uh, native plants and protected plants. He can he knows how to move that. So these people, when they moved them, they knew how to move enough soil to have some of that fungus come with it and to not disturb those plants. But after a while, that fungus is depleted. And because it's behind a garage, it makes me think that the soil that they were moved to probably isn't very rich in this fungus, this beneficial fungus. So that is probably the case why you've seen them the population go down, but at least you got to enjoy them for 11 years. That's pretty good. Yeah. Do you want to grab a quick text before we run out of time? Sure, sure. Uh, Let's see. Is there a magical mixture (laughs) to keep deer away from my trees and hostas? Thanks, Dan. Well, boy, oh, boy. You you make a fortune. There's a a lot of different repellents, um, and uh, one of the the key things with that is you have to start applying it early enough, and you have to change it up. The deer will get used to it. Um, certainly a fence is the best thing, but that's not always practical. But you can try using some repellents. There's one that was developed by a scientist up at the up at UMD called Repellex. 
And it's actually a systemic based on the hot part of hot peppers, caps, mm. capsicum, capsicum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it will um, – you don't want to use it on edibles. You want to use it only on ornamentals. So you could try that. You, you work it into the soil. The plant takes it up so that when an animal bites into it, they get this hot pepper taste. So that would be something to try. But remember, you got to start early. You have to train them not to come to your yard, and then you have to switch it up so that they don't get used to it. Let's get that university website. Sure, extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab. Go to Yard and Garden. Remember, if you didn't get your question answered, you can always go to Ask Extension. Well, it's going to be a little crowded as you leave the, the studio today. You know why? We just found out he's leaving, but Billy Joel was outside of the next door hotel. Get out of si- here. Signing autographs. <gasps> so get your uh, He may be gone by now. Yeah, but... I love Billy Joel. All right. Thanks, Julie. Thanks a lot. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.